Downloads of the show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, August 7, 2018, and it is hot, hot, hot in New York City. If it's summer where you're living, it's probably hot there too. But then again, if you're listening to this show, you are hot. I'm hot. This music is hot. We're going to have a really hot show for you today with a fantastic guest artist. And if you haven't figured, the theme for today is salsa. Salsa, 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 salsa. Sabado, 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 domingo. Only this is Martes, Tuesday. And let me be quiet so we can listen to this really smoking hot song. And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. 
Well, that was a different kind of jazzy way to start the show today. You were listening to Smoke by the Fania All-Stars from their Latin Soul Rock album, which came out in 1974. The Fania All-Stars were a group that were formed 50 years ago as a showcase for all the musicians on Fania Records, which was the seminal premier salsa label at the time and is basically credited for bringing salsa music to the attention of mainstream culture. And as you may or may not have surmised, salsa music is not only going to be the focus of this episode, but it's going to be the focus of our guest artist this week, who handpicked this song to open the episode. So get out those dancing shoes, because here we go.
we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. Wow, that song made me feel like I should be wearing a leopard print dress, sitting on a zebra print banquette, sipping on Myers from daiquiris while the band is um, between songs so I can go back out and dance my ass off some more. Awesome. That was some old school stuff from Cuban legend Machito, who was a salsa pioneer, a jazz musician who helped refine Afro-Cuban jazz and influenced our guest artist this week. That song was called Varsity Drag Mambo. The album was At the Crescendo, which came out in 1961. And let me stop talking because now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Welcome to Fish Out of Agra's Guest Artist of the Week. Woohoo! I'm sitting here with someone whom I know since the 20th century. <laughs> um, yes, we have a musician today. Uh, something different for you kids. So um, let's get right to it. And please welcome to Fish Out of Agua, the fantastico drummer. Willie Martinez. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Oh, my God. When I thought about it, I was just like, wait, who can I have on the show now? I was like, fuck, Willie. Yes. <laughs> and don't worry, it's internet radio. So we, if, if something slips out, it's fine. It's all good. It's fine. It's fine. And you, or, you, or you could just curse in Spanish and people won't know. I can go all George Carlin with all, all, all seven words. Well, maybe not all no. at once. That's a little harsh. That's a little harsh. So, oh, my God. So we do know each other forever. We do, like since I want to say the mid-80s. The mid '80s. How did how did we meet? I know how I met your your brother Eddie, who I was friends with first. But how did we meet? I think we just met through him. You know, through me working. You know, when when we started Laguna Moray, I think that that you were part of our crew. Yes, and, I was a goonie. Yeah, and so I think that's where we kind of like met for the first time. I don't know. It's you know what? I guess it's a mystery for the ages. It is. <laughs> yeah, when there's so much water under the bridge, sometimes it's hard to recall. I know. You know right. Some, and the other thing is that memory sometimes can't be trusted. True. You know, because sometimes, yeah, like it, 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 it tricks you yeah. or, or, or it fills in the gaps or it uh, skips ahead mm-hmm. with the timelines and stuff. Mm-hmm. And speaking about timelines, let's let's get into yours. So um, you are a musician right now. You're a jazz musician, right? You're a jazz drummer. I am um, a, a jazz uh, improvisational artist because jazz is a, is a tricky word nowadays. I mean, there's so many things that encapsulate the, the, the word jazz. But yes, I mean, for for most intents and purposes, I am a jazz musician, and I perform. Uh, I'm also a percussionist, uh, a Latin percussionist, and I also perform Latin jazz, which is probably one of the things I'm most well-known for. And then I also play percussion, and I I also am a vocalist, and I also arrange and compose music. Wow, that's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. And and you've been making your living at this for a number of years. Yeah, more than I care to mention. Wow. That's, no, that's something. Because a lot of people that I have on the show are still striving to make the transition between day job and life job. And they're living two lives. But you've lived only one life for a really long time. Yeah, it's it's been a journey. Well, let's start at the beginning of the journey. So I know you're a native New Yorker. I am. Native Brooklynite. Mm -hmm. And a Boricua también. Yes, 
parents, all four of my grandparents came from the island of Puerto Rico in the mid-20s and settled in Brooklyn in the Dumbo, Fort Greene. Hay Puerto Ricanos in Dumbo? Yeah, I mean, you have to realize that that's where the boat dumped us, so that's where oh, pretty much the, it all started. You know, a lot of, uh, my father was born on Henry Street and Pineapple Street right next to the Hotel St. George, which is Brooklyn Heights, which is just adjacent to Dumbo. In fact, the barber that my father used to take me to when I was a teenager is still there. The barbershop has been there for 90 years. And he's got to be, wow, he's got to be pushing, uh, he's got to be in his 80s, that guy. Wow. So as yeah. old as, wow, wow. That's old. Yeah. And then uh, I have two aunts that still live in Dumbo in the Eagle Warehouse, which is right under the Brooklyn Bridge, near, near the new uh, Brooklyn Bridge Park. Uh, they're the last remaining siblings of my mother that live still live in that neighborhood. You know. So you're a Mayflower Puerto Rican. Yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah. I mean I, I, that's that's yeah. a joke because my my family also came here in the late twenties and and um, mid nineteen thirties. So yeah. I figure anyone that came here before World War II, because that was the big migration, is basically Mayflower. Yeah, they call them uh, they call them Marine Tigers. Yeah, the after yeah. one the ones that came after World War II, because that was mm. the name of the boat. Yeah, that was the name of the boat. And, and uh, you know, right after the Jones Act in 1921, Puerto Ricans were then uh, citizens. Yes. So they were able to come over without paperwork. So they, you know, they just basically picked up their belongings and made their way to the mainland. As many another immigrant has. Yeah, and, and, you know, considering that Puerto Rico is really not that far away, and now it's kind of routine to travel back and forth, but my grandmother told me that, it was harrowing. You know, the boat ride from Puerto Rico to, to New York was harrowing. She never went on another boat for the rest really? of her life. Really? Wow. Yeah. My mom was six years old, and she was the only one that didn't get seasick. Mm. So um, it's funny because when I had your brother on my It Came From New York storytelling show about 10 years ago, I was taking pictures of people at their home train station, hmm. and he chose Beverly Road on the two train. That's right. That's right. That's, that's where we wound up. I mean, we were born in Red Hook. Uh, and then uh, we we were we didn't live there for very long after we were born. My father uh, got us a place in the then new Ebbetsfield Apartments, which were the apartment buildings that they were built that were built over the uh, Ebbetsfield where the Brooklyn Dodgers played, which is Crown Heights, I believe. And that was um, in the early '60s. And then in 1969, he bought a house in East Flatbush, and that's where we primarily grew up in East Flatbush. Wow. And um, so tell, tell me a little bit about, you, about your parents, because I know that's where the musician part comes from. Yeah, well, the musical, the love of music and appreciation of music comes, definitely comes from my parents. My, my parents were not professional musicians, but they were huge enthusiasts. My father had a huge vinyl collection, which I still have, and uh, that, was, that inspired my, that was the soundtrack of my youth, you know, all of us, the three of us, my brothers and I. And, uh, you know, we would be in the basement for hours just listening to, to all kinds of music and playing along with it on whatever instruments we could pull together. And uh, my mother uh, was a housewife, um, and, but she also, you know, had a beautiful voice. She had, she had a really lo lovely voice, and my father was an amazing dancer. And so he had, you, you know, like if you saw him dance, you could tell that there, music was inside of him. You know, he had three sisters and they would uh, go dancing at the Palladium, the old Palladium, uh, in 52nd Street and Broadway next to Birdland, and dance to Tito Puente and Tito Rodriguez and Machito and, 
they would compete, you know, him and his sisters would compete in dances and they would win all the time because they had all their steps worked out and one sister would get tired, he'd grab another one. Dancing with the siblings. Yeah, he was, he was, he was, he was a really great dancer. All, all of them were. And so, and they also, my parents threw these really epic parties. You know, I feel like there was a party in my house every weekend. We had a finished basement and uh, there was a bar down there. They, we had the stereo. We had the phonograph. We had the, you know, we had some instruments. And so there was always a, a lot of festivities going on on the weekends, you know, between the food and the music. You know, I was basically, you know, submerged in all of that every weekend. So that, I think that that was a, a, a huge source for my love of the music and, you know, everything Latino, you know, just the food, the, the hang, you know, just listening to the bochinche, you know, the, the gossip. Yeah, and, the, the Latinidad. Yeah, yeah. It, it was all just part of growing up. and, and um, So you you grew up in a house house. Yeah, my so, father bought that house in 1969. Wow. Do you know how much you paid for it? I think $32,000. Wow. And what did your dad do for, for a living? My father was a professional tailor. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. For some reason, I thought your dad was a musician, too. See? No. You learn things about people that you thought you knew he hung out with a lot of musicians actually in the 50s but um, the f- a, a lot of like uh, Machido's uh, bongo player was a good friend of his and he you know he knew a lot of musicians actually he, he took me to meet Machido at one point wow uh, when I was uh, 17 uh, he took me to uh, a place in the Bronx uh, the, called the Garden of Roses which is on Rosedale on 172nd in the Soundview area of the Bronx. Yeah, near the Bronx River Projects. I know where that is. And uh, Machito lived upstairs, and he used to re- rehearse the band in this this uh, in this in bar. And so my father took me there one day, and he, he introduced me to him, and he told him my son wants to be a timbal player, you know, a timbal player. And, and Machito said, I'll never forget it. He said, he said, music is like a love letter, but music doesn't lie. And I'll never forget that. I didn't know what it meant for a long time. But, you know, that was directly out of Machito's mouth. And then he gave me a number. Uh, he scribbled a, a number on a piece of paper for uh, this famous timbali player, Nicky Marrero, who was a Fania All-Star. Uh, as you know, Fania, Fania was... All-Stars. Yeah, Fania was kind of like the Motown of Latin music. Mm-hmm. Fania is what got um, Latin music into the mainstream, so correct. to speak. Yeah. The, yeah, that was like the advent of salsa. Yes, you know, salsa is a marketing term, really, just used to basically, you know, spoon-feed the music to uh, non-Latins, uh, more of a commercial and marketing term. But anyway, uh, now, you know, I'm very proud to say that Nicky Marrero is a personal friend of mine, and that, that, that still, is, I still pinch myself that, that one of my heroes even knows who I am and considers me a, a, you know, a colleague and a friend, so that's pretty amazing. And both your brothers are musicians also. Yeah, uh, John, my, my youngest brother, John, went to Queens College and got uh, his uh, bachelor's degree in musical theater. And Eddie and I, n- neither of us went to college. Uh, Eddie uh, is an amazing guitarist. Oh, yes, he is. And uh, I, I, yeah. I remember quite well seeing scribbled on inside certain restrooms and certain bars, Eddie Martinez is God. <laughs> like, they used to write Eric Clapton is God. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I think somebody got this idea that, no, it's not Clapton anymore. Yeah, your brother was considered a, a guitar god. An amazing guitarist. He is. And we, we learned everything we learned from listening to music and then just going out and trying to imitate things and, and just figuring it out and along the way. Very old school, you know, it's like, you know, it's a... 
jazz particularly is like an oral tradition you know you and, and Latin music is too you like like you just play with people and they tell you you know that that thing that you just did don't do that anymore <laughs> you, know, it's like, you know they just you know, slap you in the head and say all right this, this is the way it goes this is the way it goes and it's just a, a process of, of embracing the vocabulary and embracing what needs to be embraced so it's amazing to think that you and John and Eddie grew up in a home where you were saturated immersed yeah. in music and culture and art. Yeah. Because so many people that I that I interview, you know, they are so discouraged mm. from becoming an artist because a lot of times you have immigrant parents and they're like, no, you're not going to be an artist, you're going to make money. Yeah. So, but were you guys encouraged to try to pursue the arts for a living or did your parents say, dinero? My parents were encouraging to some degree, but, but they didn't know what to do with, it, with me especially. You know, I was, I went, I, we, my brothers and I went to a Catholic school and the only exposure to music I had there was being in the choir, the church choir, which was very valuable because I also sing and I believe that my ability to hear harmony and to, and to sing as well as I do, comes from that experience. And so I did get something out of that, but, but, but going to high school, all of the guys that I know that are my age now, they all went to music and art. Oh. And I, my parents did, had no clue of how to get me into music and art. Like, they didn't even... I, I, first of all, I don't know that they would have encouraged me to do that, but even if I wanted to go there... But th we they, we couldn't figure out how to get they didn't get in there. They didn't tell you in eighth grade to take the test for the specialized high schools. Well, I did take the spe uh, specialized. Well, I went music, to Brooklyn Tech. Okay, but yeah. music and art was one of those schools. You could have taken the test for it. I didn't know. I don't think that it needed a test. It needed an audition. And I think that another thing is that in Catholic school they basically focused on the ac on yes. academics and, and they and were not, steering and you towards. Yeah. They were probably they were also steering us towards Catholic high schools because my parents couldn't afford to send me to a Catholic high school. Um, but but I got into tech, thankfully, and I and I got a good education there. I got a very solid education there, and um, I didn't wasn't exposed to music there per se. But I met a lot of friends there that were into music, and we would drag our instruments from home and bring them there and find classrooms after school to jam in. And I still have good friends now from that period of, in my life where that are. You know, if they're not professional musicians, they still are lovers of music. And so, how old were you, were you when you started your first band? Um, I didn't start a band until much later. I mean, I, I started playing professionally as a drummer when I was 16 years old. Did you and your brothers play music on your own at home, like for yeah. ent for entertain yourself? Did yeah, yeah. We used to. How old were you when you guys started? Uh, we were teenagers. Like we were 14, 15. You know, and we were we were already jamming in the basement and stuff, and we already had there was already already a drum set. There was a pair of timbales in the attic, um, so I would dra dra drag those down to the basement. Explain what a timbale is for people that might not know. Timbales are probably most famously associated with uh, Tito Puente. They're basically two metal uh, drums that are on one stand and have cowbells attached and a cymbal. And they're, uh, it's a pretty simple-looking instrument, but it's actually very complex because there are a lot of sounds that you can get out of it. It's kind of the center of Latin music along with the congas and the bongos. You know, percussion is the and basis. And clave. Of, and clave, of course. You know, like those, those percussion instruments are the, the core of what Latin music is, the drum. Is, yeah. And that's you know, Latin the Afro-Latino influence, too, because I, I believe that um, all the, those different forms of drums came from... Africa originally. Uh, yeah, except for the timbal. The timbal actually came out of the timpani. Ah, uh, okay. That, that's what makes the music so so rich and, mm -hmm. and nuanced. Right, 
Right. And then, yeah, exactly. You, you know, uh, the Caribbean, or at least Cuba and Puerto Rico, are tricultural. Yeah. You have the indigenous people mixed with the Spaniards and, and with the, yeah. the, you know, sort of the African slaves. The uh, African rhythms combined with uh, the Spanish guitar and those melodies. And then uh, you have things that came from the indigenous people, like uh, the guido, you know, the shakers, mm -hmm. things like that, the maracas, those, mm -hmm. those, a lot of those things. The uñas. Yeah, a lot of those things came from the indigenous yeah. people. Uñas are like hoofs that are tied on a string, and when you shake them, it sounds like rainfall. Mm -hmm. So all three cultures come together to create, you know, this beautiful music. And it and it took Fania to get it out into the greater world. Yeah, That's something, huh? Yeah, I think what what happened was that you know there were so many different rhythms. Every rhythm had a dance. Mm. You know, like so you have merengue and you have cha 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 and you have mambo and you have son montuno and you have guaracha. But that was too much for the average American to digest. So Jerry Masucci, uh, who was a lawyer and a lover of Latin music, uh, he was the founder along with Johnny Pacheco, the great Dominican flautist. And band leader, they created Fania to basically mass market Latin mm. music, and used, they used they came up with the word salsa, so that they could incorporate all of these rhythms and dances like a sauce, one. salsa, yeah. like a yeah. sauce. Yeah, Tito Puente hated the word. You know, it's, he's very famous for hating the word. You know, he says, "My, this is I don't play salsa." He says, "Salsa is a condiment. That's what I put on my my rice and beans." <laughs> but 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 at the same time, it helped. It did help because uh, it was, Americans to embrace this music. It was marketing genius because mm -hmm. for most Americans, they their idea of Latin culture was basically uh, Javier Cugat. Yeah. Or um, Carmen Miranda. The, the roots of a lot of what they did did come from the Caribbean, but they were very, very commercialized forms of, of the, the rhythms and stuff like that. You know, if you think of the conga line, that's Cuban, you know, that, uh, that's Cuban rhythm, you know. But, but it, was, it turned into kind of like a, you know, just a commercial success for, for and, and it was Latin, but not really, you know, like yeah. not when you think about, you know, Machito Orchestra, right. you know, that, that, yeah. that, that, that's, that is, is the height of, of Latin music, in my opinion. So how old were you again when you started your first band? Uh, well, I started, my, me and Eddie started Laguna Marae when we were in our late teens. Uh, really? 18, 19. Wow. Uh, That's right, I, I forgot how young we were when we met. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about the origins of Laguna Marae, how that started, the name and the whole idea behind it. Well, you know, Eddie was already always a great songwriter, and he wanted to create a group that basically showcased his writing, and I was the drummer. And, um... Andre uh, Morton, who was the bass player, was a kid that grew up with us in, in uh, East Flatbush. Mm. He lived on Beverly Road, actually. Oh, and, okay. Uh, he was from the hood. Yeah, yeah. He was from there, and 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 as he, I think that him hanging out with us gave him an interest in music. I may be wrong, but I think that we were, <laughs> I think we were an influence on him, and he picked up the bass. Well, maybe he'll listen and, to this episode, and if he thinks differently, you'll be hearing from him. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, it was so Andre, long ago, but uh, it was so long ago. It's it's all kind of blurry now. But but I do know that I I think that 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 being around us was an influence to him, and 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 so he became the bass player, and then and a I, very good bass player, excellent bass player. Oh my God, you're so good. And uh, and then that was when we started searching for a singer. I remember we put out a, an ad in the Village Voice. That's right, because that's how people used to do things back then. Yeah, no Craigslist, Village Voice. We were interested in somebody who had kind of a Chrissy Hine vibe, and we interviewed. A couple of dozen vocalists, and none of them seemed to work out until we met Angela, Angela Rogers, and then she showed up, and she had something. She had something very unique, 
and the rest was history. I mean, we, yeah. we, we formed Laguna Moray. I think the, the, that we didn't call the band Laguna Moray until Angela joined, if I'm correct. I'm pretty sure that that was a name that we decided upon when we were when we finally found a singer. We were like, what are we going to call ourselves? And I think that was more Eddie and Angela that came up with Laguna Moray than me, but... Uh, it, it was great music. I, I had a it lot of fun. It was great music. Yeah, I had it, a lot I mean, of fun. To me, one of the great tragedies of all time is that Laguna Marae did not achieve the commercial success that it deserved. Yeah, considering who our our, our uh, contemporaries were. Yeah. I mean, we, pl- we played opposite Blues Traveler all the time, the Spin Doctors. You, uh, Spin Doctors opened for you. Yeah. I remember Spin Doctors opened for you. Yeah. And I, I don't know what what circumstances conspired to not have you guys break out. Maybe you were just tiny bit behind the curve because then I remember after the band broke up for, for good, then all of a sudden there was no doubt. And there was garbage, and there were all these uh, f- female-fronted bands yeah. in the mid '90s, and I was just—I was—I would smack my head. I would be like, "No, yeah, no, yeah. no!" But you can't turn back time. No, and- you can't. You know, we had a development deal with Sony, and uh, we were um, given a producer, uh, Jason Corsaro, who um, was the groundbreaking. Um, producer of Soundgarden. Mm. So he was very big. Uh, he was a big deal at that time. That said, I don't think he was a good fit for Laguna Moray because when we finally produced our demo for Sony, it really didn't sound very much like us. You oh. know, we had produced a, we had produced a, um, uh, a, 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 a demo with Sean, uh, I forgot, man, Sean. Sean Gorman. Sean Gorman. My, sorry, no, sorry sh- about that, Sean. Sean T. <laughs> Sean T. <clears throat> That's what I was going to say. And that demo was a perfect, that was us. That was what should have went to Sony. But Sony decided, oh, well, if we're going to do work with you, we want to see how you work with this producer. And we worked with him, and we tried to, you know, he, he wasn't a bad guy. It's just I don't think he really got us. Mm, that's so important. It's like yeah. an editor for a writer. Correct. And, and he just didn't get us. So what came of it? It, really, it just wound up, you know, it was like, wah, wah, wah. You know, it was like, yeah. you know, Sony passed, and that was it. That, that was the end it. of it. And I think everybody was really kind of bummed, and that's when we kind of broke up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you can't you can't go back. Yeah, we were charging the hill for a long time. Yeah, no, year, I'm going to say 15 years. Yeah, easily. 15 years. So Laguna Marae breaks up. It, it's a disappointment. It's a tragedy. Eddie and Angela went on to form several more bands over the next 15 that's years. That's right. And, um... You went off on your own right away. So how did your path uh, diverge after, ni- I'm going to say, 1994 or something? Yeah, early 90s. Yeah. Uh, That's when I decided that I wanted to be a musician full-time and professionally. You yeah. were, so you had a day job still? Yeah, I was, working, I was working for Locus Odyssey at a shop called The Modern Drum Shop. A year or two later... The drum mechanic there that, that built and repaired the drums said, I'm leaving, you know, uh, I want you to be my apprentice. So he showed me the art of building and repairing drums, which I still do, do to this day. Not full-time anymore. I used to do it, you know, full-time back then. But that was, I thought that was a cool way to augment my my playing because I was making some money, you know, it was another revenue stream. So, um, but, you know, other than that, I, I really just played gigs, you know, played weddings and played in salsa bands and stuff. I think it was just my love for versatility, for, for, for variety. Mm. You know, while I was playing salsa gigs, I was playing in Laguna Marae. Yes. 
you know, I, and 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 I, I embraced jazz later, but you know, I always loved Latin music, and I grew up playing Latin music. But I mean, I also loved playing the drums, and I loved playing with Eddie and and, and uh, Laguna Moray. And I also had a band with my brother John called Mosaic. And, and that's right, I remember them. And we uh, there's still actually a photograph in the New York Poets Cafe, which where I still play. I have a 14 year residency there. Um, that's the, of, of Mosaic. That's still hanging in their bathroom. I have to look for that. Well, now there's a there's a what you call it a, a subway map, but I peeled away the tape so you can lift the subway map and you can see the uh-huh. our picture there. Okay, so now you know. Go to the New York and Poets uh-huh. Cafe. And go lift. to the ground floor bathroom and lift the subway map. Uh-huh. You get a little <laughs> chunk of New York history. Yeah, it's been there since the '80s. Wow. So after Laguna Marae broke up. You had you had still been playing with Latin with moonlighting for want of a better word throughout that that whole fifteen oh, year yeah. span. Yeah. And and during this time, you you met your wife. You got married. Yep. Yep. And, and um, what do you think was the transition for you becoming a full time musician? Uh, well, I always was. I mean, ah, that's what I but, was but, doing. But you always had day jobs up until... I, for some reason, I don't consider the drum shop as a day gig. It oh, was okay. just like an extension of my music. Okay. But, you know, so that's the only other job that I've had other than music. So what I think the, the, the more telling question is, is what made me transition from Latin music to jazz. Mm, okay. Because I, I basically wanted to become a better drummer. Uh, better uh, trap set drummer as opposed to a percussionist. I was playing what we call yeah. the Cuchifrito circuit <laughs> in, in, in New York City, and that's explain that. Well, it's basically just clubs. There were clubs everywhere. In that the that Bronx, kind of bumps me out in now. Queens and Brooklyn. All over, yeah, Brooklyn, Queens, uh, Manhattan. There were dozens and dozens and dozens of clubs, and people they were, they were salsa dancing all over the place. And people huge... would pay money to get into oh, these clubs. Yeah. They'd have like $20 cover charges, $25 yeah. You covers. couldn't sit down at a table unless you ordered a setup of soda and ice and a bottle of booze. You know, it wasn't cheap to go to those places, and, and we were playing them all the time. We were playing five days a week, six days a week, two or three times on Saturday. So how much you were know? you getting per gig? $60. I think guys were making $60 in the 60s. And they were making $60 way into the 90s. Wow. Like, and then it became $100. So we used to say the $100 is the new $60. Oh, okay. And gigs today still pay $100. Right. You know so, you, I mean? and you, so you need to have 30 gigs. Exactly. You yeah. know, and, and when you're young, you don't think about that. No. You're just like, you know, give me my 100 bucks and I'm off to the next one. And, and so, but, you know, as you get older, it becomes harder, you know. It, and it, when kids start coming, it, you, oh, it yeah. gets even harder. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, I, I wouldn't be able to be uh have been a musician at all if it wasn't for uh my wife you know because she had a serious day job and she had this health insurance and she paid all the did all the heavy lifting financially and i was would make my contribution as i could you know from the music that was the money that was coming in from from being a musician and working at the drum shop because it's hard it's hard to be married and 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 be a musician because being an artist it requires a, 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 a great degree of, of being self-absorbed. Yes. You know? I'm and, in full and, agreement. And, like, there, and I think there's a fine line between selfishness and being self-absorbed. When you're, when you're passionate about something and it's all you think about and it's who you are, it's who you are, we don't have a choice to turn that off and, and turn it on. It's who we are. That's the way we live. You know, I'd like to think that for the most part, I was a good partner, but at the same time, if I'm so self-absorbed with my my music, 
it makes me less of a partner. And, well, she's, you married a civilian. I did, yeah. And I have friends that are musicians that married musicians. Some of those marriages worked out. Some of them didn't. You know, it's, it, it, it's hard. It doesn't work out when you're both poor. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. Wherever there's, whenever there's no money, there's trouble. And when there's different, differentiating views on, like, where, where your lifestyle should be, then there's, you, you're going to have strife in that area It's as very well. true. And your children are gr- almost grown now. Yeah. My daughter, uh, Jalen, is 19, and my son, Max, is 15. Now, are they pursuing artistic paths? Yeah. Both of them studied piano from early on. Jalen is a creative individual. I think that her, she's still trying to figure out her creativity. She was an amazing photographer uh, in middle school, but uh, is not as passionate about it now. But she uh, loves the piano still, but is not a player. Player, uh, but she has a, she has this amazing like creative sense, and 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 she just has to figure that out. And then Max has definitely got music in him. He's a he's a solid musician. He's I just don't know if he's like at the place in his life where he wants to that to be his yeah. life. He's, yeah. Well, he's still young. He's still he, figuring yeah, it out. Yeah, and I'm not yeah. that parent that's going to push in one way or the other. No, they have to You find have to let them way. discover themselves. Yeah. I mean, if he ends up being an accountant, then he ends up being an accountant. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I just, yeah, at the end of the day, you just want your kids to be happy. Yes. Let's, let, let's backtrack a little bit to when you were talking about transitioning from Latin into jazz. Yeah, you know, the gigs were getting later and later. You know, like I remember being at this place in Long Island City. Juan Pachangas was this place. It was a real dive. And we finished playing at 2.30 in the morning at, I think, 3.45. I still hadn't gotten paid. The band leader came down, and he was stoned out of his mind. Paid me. He was barely coherent. And I, when I left the club that night, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And you're not a big partier. You yeah. never really were. Well, I was, <laughs> you know, back in the day. But I haven't, you know, I haven't gotten high or anything like that in over 30 years. But, I mean, back when my 20s, I was. It was a bit of a beast. But at the, at the same time, I, I kind of, by the time I was 28, I stopped all that. And this is well after that. You know, like, I'm already in my 30s at this point, And I'm saying, I don't want to do this anymore. And, um... And then that's when I started taking, you know, the drum set more seriously. And and at that time, I was playing more like, you know, weddings and stuff like that. But then I started exploring jazz because I heard, you know, Andy and Jerry Gonzalez, uh, Fort Apache for the first time. And they were uh, musicians who had come out of the salsa scene, but were also very, very avid lovers of jazz. And mm. were starting to com- combine modern jazz with, 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 with uh, Afro-Caribbean rhythms. And to me, they're the most. To me, they're they're probably along with the Machito Orchestra, the the the, the two most important uh, examples and um, influences in terms of Latin jazz on on the Latin jazz community. So, who are you primarily playing with today? Well, I'm I'm very blessed to have my own ensemble, La Familia Sextet, that I've had for 14 years now. Uh, and in those 14 years, we've had a monthly residence at the New Yorican Poets Cafe since, I think, 2005. Wow. Yeah, 2004, 2005. So we're there every month. We're going to be there this coming Tuesday, the 24th. 
And, uh, you know, I've had that band, the same band uh, of musicians together for 14 years. So I'm very proud of that. That's an amazing feat. It 14 is. 14 years. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. And, and it, it speaks volumes of, of how close we all are with, with each other. It's a, it's a great... It's a familia. Group. It is. I mean, the, the, the name is not an accident. And you're still, and you're still getting your $100 per gig? <laughs> uh, I wish. Uh, you know, the thing is, is that now I get hired as a sideman. I, I have a nice balance in my life of leading... And following, like uh, they call people who follow, you know, uh, who, who get hired by other bands, uh, sidemen. Mm. So I have a healthy balance, <coughs> excuse me, of leading and being a sideman. When I'm a sideman, I actually get paid pretty well because I'm at a point in my life where people want me there. You like know, you, you, well, you've been around for so long. You, I'm sure you have a big name for yourself. It's nice being a medium-sized fish in the big pond that New York City is. I, I think that people value the fact that I'm a strong jazz player, but that I also have the Latin vocabulary. And it's kind of in vogue, or it's been in vogue for a long time, for, for jazz musicians to embrace Latin rhythm. You know, even though they're not primarily Latin jazz musicians, they, uh, they still uh, want to incorporate those rhythms in their music. So that's why I, I get called quite often for that type of thing. And that pays well? Yeah, I mean, I, I play at places like Birdland and stuff. You know, no, no, you know, none of these gigs really pay a ton of money, but I do also do like college gigs with musicians that I mean, with people that hire me to play colleges, and those pay very well. Mm. And then uh, you, you know, get on albums with people. Well, I've been on many albums. Yeah, I've been on many albums with a lot of people, and uh, and and uh, studio work pays well as well. A lot of people sometimes think that being a musician is not a viable way to make a living. And it is, but it isn't. It right. can be. It can be. Uh, it takes a tremendous amount of work. It takes a fair amount of luck. Uh, and it takes a, a, uh, a work ethic. Yeah. You know, a lot of times artists don't have that work ethic. No. A lot of times people just, they want to be the rock star, but they don't want to, to put in the work behind what that takes. Yeah. Uh, you a want lot the of, lifestyle. Yeah, you, you, or you want the art, but you, you find it difficult to monetize your art. You know, because most most artists are not inherent business people. You know, they, they, they know how to make art, but they don't know how to do business. And I've been very fortunate that I was able to develop skill sets that allowed me to, uh, like in terms of flyers even, just like, you know, promoting myself. I don't have the money for a graphic artist, so I learned how to use Illustrator and stuff like that in Photoshop and created my own stuff early on. And uh, social media, that's something that I embraced very early on. So, Willie, you have had multiple artistic success across multiple music genres. What do you think is the key to your longevity? Uh, versatility. Um, when I first started, I wanted to basically be a timbali player. I wanted to be a famous timbali player. Well, I don't know about famous, but I wanted to be a, a working timbali player. I remember Eddie and I having this conversation when we were very, very young. You know, we wanted to be like our father. We wanted to be able to put food on the table and to bring up families doing our thing and be very humble about it. You know, we, neither one of us were really chasing after fame. We just wanted to be solid musicians and be able to uh, provide for our families. That was our dream. So adaptability. Adaptability. Versatility. Versatility. A supportive spouse. Uh, a supportive spouse. A little bit uh, of luck. A, a, a lot of luck. <laughs> and and, and, and um, people up in El Cielo watching out over you. Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah. That's the key to success. So yeah. you put it in a jar. Yeah, and then I mentioned earlier work ethic. You know, what a lot of musicians especially don't, you know, a lot of younger musicians don't realize is that, you know, people are hiring you. 
you know, half of the gig is to show up on time. Half of the gig is to be wearing what they told you to wear, be wearing appropriate stuff. You know, like simple fundamental stuff like that. You know, I mean, you need to be professional about the way you carry yourself and the way you deal with others. And uh, that's a huge part of being successful because in any, in any, in any genre, in, in, any yeah. way, in, in, in any walk of life, you know, just respecting others uh, that are employing you to do the right thing. So um, if people want to find out more about what, where you're going to be, about La Familia Sextet, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on multi, um, uh, I was going to say multimedia, social media. Uh, I am, uh, can be found on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram, Willie Martinez. Uh, La Familia Sextet has its own uh, Twitter account and its own Facebook page where you can hear our music and know where we're playing next. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ask this question of everybody when we come to the end of our time together. Mm-hmm. So, Willie, I almost called you Eddie again. <laughs> <laughs> so, Willie, if you, I mean, you've been giving advice, 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 but if you have anything more, any, anything more to say to the young person who's sitting alone that wants to be more than what their surroundings or their family think they have the right to be. They have, their, they have a dream that they're daring to dream. What would you tell this child? Well, I'll use a story. Uh, I was blessed to go to Brooklyn Technical High School. At the end of my four years, I, w- I was a, uh, in the uh, electrical engineering. Uh, that was my, my focus. At the end of my education there, one of my electronics teachers came up to me and he said, uh, Martinez, what do you want to do with your life? You clearly don't want to be an electrical engineer. <laughs> and I said, well, I want to be a musician, but there's no security in it. And he said, son, there's no security in anything. He said, you should, he said, you should be sure that whatever it is you wind up doing, it's because you want to do it. And I bumped into him years ago in the subway, Mr. Corelli, and told him that story, and he was mortified. <laughs> he said... I said that? And I said, yes, you did, sir. And he says, I can't believe I said that. But that's my advice to, to someone who, uh, is, who wants to dream big. Dream big and, and go for it because there are plenty of ways to make a living and make good money and have a, a, a solid life financially. But the thing is, is if you have something that moves you, that you're passionate about, it behooves you for your own sanity to, 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 to take that wherever it leads you and, ha- and be daring enough to, to trust that. And go for it. Because, you know, you're not going to be on your deathbed saying, I wish I would have made more money. At the end of the day, when when your chapter is closed, you say to yourself, man, I I wish I could have done this or or done that. Follow your heart. Wise words from a wise man. Thank you for being on Fish Out of Agua, Willie Martinez. It was my pleasure. Hug on the air! (laughs) Woohoo! We always end with a hug on the air.
we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That song was by Willie Martinez and his band La Familia Sextet. It's actually a tribute to Willie Martinez's father, Willie Martinez Sr. It's called For the Cooch, that was his nickname, and it's from their family album, from La Familia Sextet's family album in 2004. If you want to know more about Willie Martinez's music, GTS! Google that shit, because it's awesome! Well, kids, that's our show. You've been listening to Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. And we have a little housekeeping for you. I want to know if you are subscribed or not to the RFB newsletter. Hmm, are you? Well, you should be, because it's called Radio Free Brooklyn. And every month, we'll send you the latest news about new programming, upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events, as well as interviews, ticket giveaways, special offers on RFB swag, and more. The emails only come once a month because we are committed to a spam-free world. And you can sign up at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. We're going to close with another one of Willie's picks. This is uh, another Fania All-Star. So we started with Fania. We're ending with Fania. This is Hector Laveau, Mi Gente, My People, from the Laveau's album back in 1974. Please stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll see you next week. Because this is what Brooklyn sounds like. profundo lo llamé no me preguntaron dónde orgullo tengo de ustedes mi gente siempre responde vinieron todos para huirme o guarachar pero como soy ustedes yo lo invitaré a cantar Yo lo invitaré a cantar conmigo si lleva esa vaca. Que suelten el colchón y se metan a vacilón. ¡Ala, ala!